0: We're gonna, we're gonna open the word, but then we're gonna have a time of ministry. And um, so we're continuing on in the spirit of what's taken place in the flow of it. And we're actually gonna have a time at the, hereafter kind of opening the Bible to, to really respond to even the words that came forward and what God's already kind of beginning to do. And uh, if you, were. We purposely do not put Scripture up on the wall, not because we don't believe in Scripture, but because we believe in actually bringing Scripture with us and opening it up. Uh, If you need a Bible, will you raise your hand so the ushers can get you one? Uh, And that way you can read along if you need one. Leave your hand up until they get it to you. I'm going to be reading out of the New Living. We are... um, focusing today on radical living. And uh, what does it mean to live radically? It means that we don't live normally. Um, They're coming with the Bible, so don't worry. Keep your hands up. But you know, Jesus, the early Christians, they were called Christians because when people saw them, they said that they were acting like Christ. They would call them little Christ, or they, they, they resembled Christ's behavior which means that they weren't acting normal. If they were acting normal like everyone else of that day, then they, they, they wouldn't have been ref, reflecting Jesus in a way where someone would say, there's a Christian. And uh, it could have been maybe even an insult, kind of like a name calling, like there goes a Christian. But it also could have been, a, and, but if you were a Christ follower, it would be a, a thing of honor, of yes. I'm a disciple, a disciple. You know, Jesus has called each one of us to come and follow him and to be his disciple. But to truly walk as a Christian, not just say I'm going to put my faith in Jesus, but to really walk in it, it takes radical living. Because when he says, come follow me, he asks us to drop everything that we have. When he called his disciples, he called them not to just say, will you go on a little hey, I'm, I, I, I want to go walk the Salmon Creek Trail. Uh, Tamara loves to walk the Salmon Creek Trail, and she's invited people to walk the Salmon Creek Trail with her. And uh, it, it's not just, hey, will you come, just pause your day for a couple minutes, and let's walk six miles. No, he's saying, will you drop your security? Will you drop everything that you know, everything that you that that you have around your life that anchors you, will you let go of it? And will you come follow me to something unknown, to something new, to something unpredictable, to something where your faith is going to be stretched, where where your giftings are going to be stretched? I'm going to ask you to step out and do things, say things that maybe you aren't totally comfortable doing or saying, but I want you to come and live radically with me and walk with me. And so You know, over the last uh, two years, we've kind of looked at different things. uh, We talked about radical connection. What does it look like for you and I to be connected as a church family with each other, with the people that we see around us, and not connected because when we look at them, we see somebody and say, I can't wait to be best friends with that person. Not because we look and we say, you know what? We are so much alike. I mean, we don't have one single disagreement because we vote the same, we act the same, we like the same food, all these things. But we look at each other and we say, this is the body of Christ. And Jesus brought us all together to be a family, not so that we could all look and act just like one another, but actually so we could all represent who he is to one another. Because each one of us is only part of the picture and we need one another. I've joined community groups where I've been around a lot of people like me and I have a lot of fun in them and they're pretty easy. But I'll tell you what, the groups that have changed my life the most are the groups that are full of people that I was actually at the beginning of the group, let's just be honest, or I'm the one that's, I guess, just being honest, a little disappointed in who was joining the group. And I was like, oh, dear God, this is going to be This is going to be a little bit crazy. This one, when we ask a question, no one's going to stay on topic or whatever it might be, but that is where God challenged me the most and he dealt with me the most. So we talked about radical connection. I think it was about a year ago. We talked about radical hospitality. We actually adjusted. The church's calendar schedule and adjusted the nights that we do things to to free up more evenings where you and I can be more hospitable, not just to each other, not just to our best friends, not just to have one more family night, but where we can invite people into our home, people down the street from us, a neighbor that maybe you've never really talked to, you wave and you say hi, but where we can invite people in. We invite people in that look different, act different, speak different, vote different, have different preferences than we do just to be radical in our hospitality in the way that Jesus has been radical inviting us in. So we invite someone else in. We have to be radical in our faith. Today, we're gonna pray for healing. It's gonna be a push. In the last week and a half, we've had two family members of the church two men die one of ALS and one of cancer you know one of the common tendencies whenever we hit something like that is to want to just kind of sit back and press pause and well I don't know if I'm comfortable praying right now because I was praying and nothing happened it didn't turn out the way I wanted it to are we going to sit in that Not saying we don't experience our emotions or do we say, God, I still believe you're not the healer because you heal every time I ask you to you're not my provider. Because when I say I need a thousand more dollars in my bank account, a thousand more dollars appears. You're my provider because I believe that everything I have actually has come from you. You're good. Not because my tire has never popped. And not because my radiator has never blown. My alternator has never gone out. You're good because you're good and I'm going to trust in you. So today we're going to push back on doubt. We're not going to say, well, I don't know. Should we talk about faith anymore? Should we pray for the sick anymore? H E double hockey sticks. Yes, <laughs> we're going to go after it. We're going to push forward and we're going to keep believing because we're not called to to respond to it taking place exactly the way we want it to. We're called to step out and to walk in it regardless of it. We have to have radical faith. It's radical because it doesn't make sense. It's radical because even as Jesus was beginning his ministry and he goes out to to, uh, fast and pray, The accuser comes and meets him in that place and he starts testing him. Aren't you hungry and why why are you doing it this way? It's a lot easier to do it this way. When things go a different way for us, we're tempted to kind of fall into that kind of same thing and pull back. We gotta be radical and we push forward. Radical in our giving. Giving's another one that doesn't make sense. Because it's not, well, I give $100 and then I'm gonna get $100 back. It's not, I give $100 and man, tenfold, I'm gonna get $1,000 back. It's, I give $100 because God, I believe everything that I have is from you and I'm honoring you in it. The Sabbath, I'm gonna take a day off from trying to accomplish things in my own strength and just focus on resting, finding rest and delight in God. It doesn't make sense, especially when our bank account feels like it needs more in it. Well, what in the world is rest and delight going to do to help me pay the bills? It's radical because it's so different, but he designed it that way because he wants us to live radically because we're not supposed to look like everyone else. It's supposed to be obvious that he's in us, not because everything goes perfect for us, It's obvious that he's in us because clearly we're not operating in our own strength. It's obvious that he's in us because clearly what we're doing doesn't always make sense. But there's an act of obedience. So it's radical. So today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 25. You can turn there. We're going to look at verse 14 through 29. Depending on your Bible, it might say the parable of the talents or the three servants. We're gonna be really looking at stewarding what God has given us. So I'll start reading here again. It's Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 through 29. It says again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants, And he entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Then he left on his trip. The servant who received five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver, dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used the money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I have earned five more. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops that you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops, I didn't plant and gathered crops. I didn't cultivate. Why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. To those who use well, what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance, but from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. So we got a guy. It's it's supposed to be an analogy. Jesus is trying to teach them um, um, kind of a, a new way of thinking. It's put in there with some other parables that are actually really focusing on the end and being prepared as believers for Jesus' return, being prepared in our life for what God has asked us to do, which is remain faithful to him. So he gives three people this money. What's interesting is one, he divides in proportion to their abilities. Now, I remember growing up and hearing this parable and struggling with it, because I always saw it as a value system in which one of them was greater. But we have to understand that Each one of us have been given different abilities. Who here, we're going to do a little hand raising just to get some body movement and get a little flow circulation going. Who here has ever seen other people given something and you felt like you deserved it too? Am I the only one? Who here has ever been given a responsibility and you felt like it was a tad bit too big and you wondered why God was trusting you with it and thought he should have given it to someone else? So it's it's kind of relative. Typically what we want is we want the benefit of the responsibility without the pain of the responsibility, if you're like me. Anybody in here like me? Okay. And so God entrusts us with things, but... It doesn't make one of us better than the other. The difference is what do we do with it in stewarding it? Are we faithful with what he gave us? It's not about, I gave you five because you're my favorite. I gave you two because yeah you're decent and you have have possibilities. And I gave you one because you're worthless. No, he gave us each something different and each one of our lives is going to look different than each other. Some of us might live in bigger homes than others. Some of us might, um, I won't go down the list because that could get awkward, but we're not all going to look the same. But we can get caught up in a worldly way of thinking, culture way of thinking, where we create comparisons almost in like a power struggle way of who's more important or or who God loves more based off of those things. But when it came down to it, it was about what did they do with it? Did they steward it? So here's a little proof of that. After he had divided it up based off off of their abilities... And then he, he, he went away. Now, the whole idea of one digging um, a hole in the ground, putting it in there, that was a way that, that a lot of the, um, the Jewish people of the day would save their money. They weren't supposed to loan money, so going to a bank to get interest wasn't something they would have done in the Jewish community. They would have gone outside of that to do something like that, but so they would have buried their money. So the idea that he buried money uh, it would have been a normal way they would have dealt with it. But the idea is that's not what we're supposed to do with what God has given us. But so the, the two came back. So that the one that had five and he got five more, when he came and reported it, the master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful, la-da-da-da-da, let's celebrate together. The guy who had two and got two more, so in our way of thinking. We could say this one wasn't quite as important because he didn't he wasn't given the same amount and he didn't. He, yeah, he doubled it, but he didn't actually bring in as much now. He's only bringing back four where the other guy brought back ten. But guess what the master's words were? Absolutely identical. Thank you, Linda. Yes. No. Perfect. Yell it louder. What were they? Yes. There it is. They were the same. So he wasn't looking at the one with the 10 and, and we, but in our mind, we think they, man, they got the big prize. They got the, uh, you know, if you're a parent in here, you know, the schools are always sending us back with these, our kids home with these fundraisers and our kids, they see this stupid trinket that is absolutely worthless. And if they can raise, you know, sell 30 books, they get this piece of junk plastic But our kids are just like, I got to have it. I'm like, I'll just take you to the store and buy you the thing so that we don't have to participate in this. But they're so set, and then they're set on the big prize. Because why would you want the average prize or the small prize? The prize with all three of these was going to be the same. It wasn't about who brought in the most money. It was about what did you do to steward it? And the response for stewarding it was exactly the same. So God isn't up there valuing you and I based off of which one of us can, in our own strength, or our own power, earn the same amount. He's saying, What are you doing to steward what I've given you? So, in reading this, you know, a lot of times we read stories, we read scripture and uh, I have a natural tendency of finding myself in some of the heroes in the Bible. Anybody else like that? I typically skip over, there's a book called A Tale of Three Kings and it talks about Saul, David and Absalom. And man, it is a lot of fun to read that book and be David. (laughs) I can see where I've had Saul's in my life and where I've had Absalom's in my life. And I just feel justified. I, won. I pat myself on the back for loving God the way I have. And I feel justified that, yes, I've been attacked. I've been, you know, whatever it is. But the real way to read that book is that there is a Saul inside of me. There's an insecure person. There was someone who even sent me a text. (laughs) Uh, I don't know, maybe like a year into being the lead pastor here calling me out as a Saul. And if you know the story of Saul, like, why are you hiding behind the luggage, Pete? Come on out on the stage and quit hiding. But there's a Saul in me. And I'm proud to say, yes, there is a tad bit of David. But not the sinful part. No. (laughs) But there's that too. There is that as well. Looking at things that actually don't belong to me and saying, I want it. And I'm going to use my power or authority or my influence, whatever it is, to take something that actually isn't mine and make it mine. But you know what? There's also an Absalom in me where I can easily be tempted to sit out by the gate and let people talk to me about what they, I was going to say, but that that would be a bad example. And I don't want to admit that one, but I would never do that to Tamar. But where I sit and listen to their gripes about somebody else. And it's it might start out pure, but pretty soon I get pulled into it and I'm doing it for my own benefit. And I start rising myself above and saying, you know what? If I was leading that, those mistakes wouldn't happen. If I was doing it, you wouldn't feel that way. If I was doing it, it would be this. So there's all three in me. And I believe in this this parable, both exist in us. And I know I have a tendency to bury I have a tendency to hide in the ground what God has given me. Why do I do that? I'll list off a couple good reasons why I do that. Because, so why did that guy do it? He did it because he feared his master, right? So he he hid it there. It was self-preservation. The others took a risk and decided to step out and actually do something with what they were given and stewarding it. So why do I hide things in the ground? I'm scared of rejection. God's asked me to do something. Well, what if if I step out and I open my mouth and what if everyone mocks me and rejects me? I'm scared of others' judgments. Well, what if I do it in half the room or what if my family or whatever the analogy is, your workplace or your school, put whatever context you wanna put in it. What if if they judge me? What if if they sit there and these people start gossiping me and these people are praising me and these people just totally, they go around and just start slandering me. I hide things in the ground because I'm scared of disappointment. Because how am I gonna react if it doesn't happen the way I want it to happen? Well, I'll be disappointed. Well, what if then people say, You know, then they start challenging me and I look foolish. So instead, for self-preservation and for safety, I hide it in the ground. Sometimes I hide it in the ground because I don't want it to become bigger than it is. Well, if I, you know, this whole tithing thing, they say it's 10%. That's a lot of stinking money. That's like two car payments. That's a much bigger house. That's a lot more good food. That's several decent vacations. Well, what if I actually start doing that and then God asks me to give more? So what am I going to do? I'm not going to give at all because I don't want it to get bigger. Well, what if I step out and actually when I'm going through the grocery store and God highlights, say, penny to me and I walk over and I'm like, hey, I introduce myself Say, you know, I I just felt like I love Jesus and I just felt like he wants you to know he sees you and he loves you. And I don't know what's going on in your life, but I believe that he asked me to pray for your job. I don't know if you need a new job or what it is, but I need to just pray for your job. Well, what if I do that, okay, and I finally get over that hurdle, but what if then he asks more of me? What if then he starts asking me every single time I go to the grocery store? I, ain't nobody got time for that. I don't wanna have to do that. What if then he, he does tell me to stand up in my workplace and, and, and verbalize my testimony? What if he asks for more? So instead, I'm gonna hide it because I don't want it to grow into something bigger. We do it out of self-preservation. Sometimes we hold on to things for our own security. We feel safer if we hold on to it, if we bury it down. But radical living is you and I stepping out in not holding on to things for self-preservation because it's not about our kingdom. It's about his kingdom. So we give freely because he's given freely to us. Yeah, we need to be good stewards with our money. He wants us to budget well. He's not looking for each one of us to go into debt and make foolish decisions. But you know, at the end of the day, it's what did we do with what he gave us that really matters? Not how much did we leave here on Earth? Not how much did we attain here on Earth? Are we good stewards with our testimonies? Or is it something that we received the grace of God and the forgiveness of God and we hold on to it, but we never go around and actually steward it and share it with others for for it to impact one another? You know, your story is designed specifically to influence some people. That my story would never penetrate. I remember growing up in the church and especially in youth group and A kid would get up and they just got saved three seconds beforehand and they're now up on the stage and just saying, God delivered me from this and God delivered me from this. And we used to say that person has a really good testimony. But mine, growing up in the church and being in the back of a station wagon after a home group meeting and just crying, I want Jesus, it's kind of lame. Like, you know, where's all the mess ups? Where's all the drama? You know what? Each one of our stories is important and it impacts a certain person. Are we going to be faithful in stewarding it or because I'm scared of people rejecting my story as lame and a little bit unentertaining and, dude, where's the drama? Like, why don't you go make some mistakes, come back and have a better one? He wants us to steward it well. We have, Jerry, will you put up the questions to consider? So just thinking through this, what have you been given that you've hidden instead of stewarding? So what is it that God put in you? What has what he taken you through? What circumstances has he taken you through? What, where has he delivered you? What has he given you in talents? What has he given you in skill sets? What is he giving you in experiences? What is he giving you in resources? Where instead of stewarding it, you've hidden it. You've put it down for whatever reason. And what are we holding on to hiding out of fear or self-preservation? So because we don't want to risk it, we hold on to it and we hide it. I sent out a video this last week about Jake. We knew he had a couple days. We didn't know that it was only gonna be a couple hours asking for us to pray. I grew up in a church movement where faith and especially in the eighties and a lot of charismatic movements, there was, there was a lot about faith. I remember when my dad was dying of cancer, people would come over and they would pray Some of these people came over every single week and prayed. But because of the mindset and the paradigm, when he died, there was only two options. One, he didn't have enough faith. Or two, they, the prayer, prayer didn't have enough faith. I can tell you right now, they're just like you and I. They weren't going to believe in option two, that they didn't have the faith. So they would, then they had to publicly say that my dad died because he didn't have enough faith. Other people would come over and say, if you would just take this green powder. Anybody ever take green powder before? I do. But if you would just take this green powder, it would all go away. Everybody had their, their different thing. And what it causes the challenge I knew I had to face is am I going to let those hurts of the way people have dealt with it and the unknown where, well, what am I gonna do when someone comes and says, well, why do you pray for this? Have you seen God do it? We do it out of obedience. We do it because he asked us, he told us to have faith. He told us to step out of the boat and pray. And we don't do it because we're gonna get the result. He's not, you know, as we say, he's not a genie in a bottle. We're not making a wish. He's not building our kingdom. We're here to build his. We're here to serve his. So we're going to, um, if the ushers would come up and place the elements on the tables, we're going to uh, place. some, um, we're not going to actually have the Praise team come back up. We're going to play some iTunes worship. Old school here, guys. I guess that's not even old school. Um, but it sounded neat. Just to create an atmosphere. The, the idea isn't that we're, all, we're not going to have words up on the screen. The idea isn't that we're you can sing along to the song as you feel. One thing that I, I hope we always learn, and that's why we change the size of the team up on the stage and do it differently. Is there something powerful when we can come together and we can sing together? But what I never want us to fall into the trap. So we never want to lose the power of coming together as a community of faith, tasting, seeing that God is good, rallying with each other, supporting one another, allowing the word of God to come and challenge us. But on the other hand, for us to never fall victim to thinking this is the only place where the anointing is. That, oh, when we walk through the threshold of the sanctuary, your sanctuary is wherever you create it to be. And so we don't have to have always a group of people. You don't have to have someone read the scripture to you. God wants you to open it up and he wants to illuminate and bring things to life to you. You need to build an altar somewhere, you can press play on your phone. You can put in. Anybody still doing tapes? <laughs> anybody? CDs? Okay? There you go. You can put on and you can put on your favorite CD and create, turn your room into a sanctuary. Create an altar and saying, Jesus, I need you right here and I need you right now. And that's what we're gonna do, is we're gonna we're gonna build our own altars of Lord. So it could be as Ashley came up and talked about reminding ourselves of the names of God this morning. It could be that he wants to remind you of who he says he is to you. That you've allowed um, um, disappointments. You've allowed frustrations. You've allowed accusations. You've allowed things to just chip them away. Not God's not good because this happened in my life. Nope. Not God's not mercy because I've gone through harsh things. God's not truth because when I did this, this didn't happen. God's not with me because I felt, you know, when we start going through these things and we've torn down, maybe today, God wants to build it back up. And you're building an altar, you're picking up the rock and you saying, you are faithful God. You pick up another rock, you are my redeemer God. You pick up another rock, even though I'm still hurting, you are my healer God and we build an altar in that way. We're gonna have communion at the two back tables in here and you just come forward as you feel led in your timing. If you're in here today and, uh, and you, you don't know Jesus, maybe you've been coming for a while and you're just battling your, your kind of your own mindset and whether or not God is real. This is a time to surrender your life to Jesus and communion is one of the best ways of doing that. It's saying, Lord, I don't want to keep doing this on my own. I'm making a whole bunch of mistakes. I can't keep doing it. When left to myself, I choose selfishness. When left to myself, I choose self-preservation. When left to myself, I keep hurting people. When left to myself, All these things. I keep missing the mark. It's what we call sin. We keep going our own way. Today, I want to surrender to you. What does the juice and the cracker represent? You've maybe heard this a thousand times, but I don't think it should ever get old to one single one of us in this room. It means that when Jesus went on a cross, somewhat like that, that his body was broken. He was whipped, he was tortured, he was abused. His body was broken. Any shed blood. The broken bread represents his broken body. The cup represents his shed blood. Gruesome. A little bit weird. So why do you guys do that in the church? We do it because he asks us to do it in remembrance of him. He asks us to remember on a constant basis. That's why we do it weekly. Because it should be the centerpiece of why you and I are here. Because we through the love of Jesus Christ, have been given a second chance. A second chance to follow him and allow him to come change us. So we take the cracker. We say, thank you, Lord, for your broken body, that through your brokenness, my brokenness is now made whole. God, thank you for your shed blood, because even though your life, your blood was drained out, it brought me life. And God, I live freely. But I believe also that we need to be thinking through what is it that God has given each one of us and that we have chosen to hide that he wants to call back out. It's never too late for you and I to go get a little shovel, go back into our backyard and start digging it up a little bit. And you might not have a shovel, you might need to go out there and get your hands dirty and start going for it. It might be where you thought you buried it over here and you're digging and you realize, no, it's over here. We might need to get a little frantic in saying, what is it that God put inside of us that we've hidden that he wants to bring out? Because he wants us to steward it well. My prayer for us is that none of us think that this doesn't apply to us. Either because we don't feel worthy or because we feel like we already have it taken care of. Because I believe that every single one of us has something that he's asking us to dig back up. Every single one of us has something that he's saying, I want to bring that out of hiding. After the prayer team, after you've taken (sighs) communion, I would ask that you pause a little bit and pray just about what is it God wants to do in you. That you don't just go into work mode and doing mode, but that you would be first. I wanna ask that the elders come over to this side of the room. And today we're gonna to pray for healing. If you need healing, we don't pray for healing because we know exactly what the outcome will be. We pray for healing because we believe in the healing power of God. We believe that Jesus, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever and we believe that we've been given one mandate on it, it's ask, it's believe, it's step out in faith. And therefore, we will keep doing it, we will keep knocking, we will keep pushing into it, believing that God is gonna come through, that miracles are gonna take place. So if the elders, afterward you come up here and Betty will give you some oil, I want to ask that uh, Jan and Tamar after a little bit that you guys come stand right here on the right side of the stage. And if you feel like you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, I want to invite you to come talk to them. They'll be standing right over here in front of the drums. If you feel like you've maybe walked away from Jesus and started living on your own and kind of rejected him, kind of press mute. You didn't want to turn the volume down. You didn't want to listen to him anymore. And you're feeling a tugging in your heart that today is a day that you're saying enough is enough. I'm going to follow you, God. I want to invite you to come up. And then the rest of the prayer team, if, if again, after you have taken care of yourself to come up over on this side, I just ask that you guys pray in groups of two. so two prayer partners praying for a person. But let's just, uh, I'm going to pray. And let's just, we're just gonna allow this place to become an atmosphere where we can each meet with God and we can each build a reminder, a monument of who God is and that whatever it is that maybe is holding you back, that we push through that today and say, Lord, I wanna walk out being a good steward with what you've given me. So Lord, right now, I just ask that you would come even as we've already prayed and open up our minds, open up our spirits. God, even reveal things to us that maybe we haven't thought about in years. Lord, that where there are lies, you would bring truth. God, where there is shame and guilt and condemnation that you would come, you would bring repentance. But God, we would also know that as we bring it to you, you've forgiven us. God, where there's a hardness of heart, that a softness would come. Lord, where maybe we used to be zealous for sharing the gospel, the good news, the story you've placed in us, or maybe where we used to be uh, super um, into praying for the sick, but because of circumstances, we pulled back. That, Lord, we would allow a new life to come inside of us. Today, God, help us to remember the sacrifice you paid for each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.